welcome to How Have You Not Seen That Episode 2. My name is Wilson. I'm Charles. And I'm Crossman. This is a podcast. Um, it is a podcast about us discussing movies we haven't seen and have lied about having seen. So if you've ever been in a situation where somebody has discussed a movie with you and you have perhaps fudged the truth a little bit about whether or not you've seen that movie to seem more informed, more cultured, cooler, this is the place for you. We each pick a movie each week that we have perhaps been a little dishonest about in the past or is just missing in our larger film vocabulary, and we all watch it and come back and discuss. It was my selection this week. The movie that I missed and, I don't know, didn't feel like I had really missed uh, was Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. So, Wilson, you have a college degree, right? I have two degrees. Okay. <laughs> and... and so how? How did I, oh yeah, how how have you not seen that? Well, I, I think that I did. I didn't see this movie for the same reason I never saw, or for similar reasons as to why I never saw Napoleon Dynamite, where like the major jokes were quoted at me or near me so many times that seeing it felt redundant. <laughs> like I, I kind of felt like I had already seen it. Um, I feel like I've just seen this film accidentally more than once. Like, yeah, where yeah. someone was just like watching it in a room, and I just happened to like walk in the room. Right, and, and I never did that. Or like maybe the people I spent time with were watching other things. Okay, I guess. I but mean, that's kind of what happened with me for Mean Girls, right? Like I knew so many sure. of those references already. It's such a like core part of our culture. Yeah, one of those movies. And I think Anchorman is probably on a similar in terms of like cultural penetration. This is like the height of. Will Ferrell's like comedy star power probably it, like it broke him up right like yeah. this feels like one where it's like Will Ferrell becomes bigger than just like a guy on SNL. Well, it showed he could be like the main character in a yeah. comedy of an SNL movie that yeah. like people like and, and it's a big hit. Yeah, um, I think I kind of generally had and still a little bit have an allergy to Will Ferrell. Like I get it. <laughs> like he's funny. I see his dick. Like I like what he does sometimes, but not enough to like sit through it for ninety minutes. And so I was like, okay, I, I saw the relevant clips here. I get what Anchorman's about. Like, I don't need to sit down and see it. Um, so I think that's mostly why I, did, okay. I didn't see this movie. It happens. Yeah. Why don't you summarize it for yeah, us? Yeah. There's nothing. Nothing happens in this movie. Um, so it takes place in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, Will Ferrell plays Ron Burgundy. He is uh, the news anchor at a local San Diego news station. He is stupid. Every, all of his friends are stupid. They're all misogynists and drunks. Um, eventually, a woman is hired at the station who is very serious and doesn't get any jokes. She takes Will Ferrell's job, and they end up having to co-anchor for a while. And he has a hard time with this, and he loses his job. And then he learns, then like you know, twenty or thirty minutes happen, and then he learns that that's bad, and he gets his job back. And the movie ends, and then there's you know, dumb jokes in between all that shit. <laughs> like, that's that's fucking Anchorman. There's like whatever you're imagining this movie is. That's precisely what it is. I thought this movie was was dumb and bad, and I'm not happy that I watched it. Okay. I didn't like it. Oh, really? Yes. I'm a little offended, but okay. Yeah. yeah I'm, I feel like I made the right choice for the last 16 years, however long it's been since this movie came out. It's going to be and, it's going to be a tough episode. Yeah, that's that's a hot take. Yeah. Yeah, not, not into it. I, I counted how many times I laughed. It was nine. I didn't count the times when I had earlier laughed at a joke that I'd heard before. So well, that, that's cheating. That number's a little, <laughs> that number's a little deflated. That's like 90%. Yeah, the context seems important. Yeah, that, that's like 90%. That, that's, that deflates it, but um, still I expected more than nine laughs <laughs>, from, laughs from this. So yeah, I feel like I'm in the firm minority when it comes I, to Anchorman. I didn't laugh a ton, but I think it's mostly because I like I knew every like I know the joke that's coming every time. Yeah, so I didn't know every time. Like, there a, were, part of the yeah. nature of comedy is like surprise. Not yeah, surprise. And so like I was like, oh yeah, that's that's hilarious. But I wasn't like <laughs> yeah. I acknowledge that this is funny. I wasn't laughing. Although right. I watched it with my girlfriend who laughed. Okay, a has lot. she seen it before? I, I'm sure she's seen it before. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll double check, but. I'm no, pretty sure she'd seen it. Probably, yeah. it's a safe guess. Yeah. All right. So uh, my understanding, Charles, is that you're a big fan of Anchorman. Yeah. I mean, when, yeah. I, when I picked this one, you said that you felt like you didn't have to rewatch it because you'd seen it so many times. Yeah. I mean, like there was definitely a time in high school where I basically had this film memorized. I was one of those people. Yeah, okay. Who was quoting it all the time, probably at you. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yes. Like you're, we hadn't even met, and I had managed to quote this at you. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the collective consciousness. Yeah, but I mean, it's one of those movies where I saw it as soon as it came out in theaters, <laughs> and so I didn't have that stigma 
of people like quoting it. Sure, yeah. I was like participating in it. Um, but it's always been one of my favorite comedies, and I was a little afraid to revisit it now since I haven't watched it in full in many years. Right. Yeah, same. Um, because I mean, it's a comedy film that came out 15 years ago, and like I was afraid it was, was going to show up or things like that. And I still largely enjoyed the jokes, uh, even though I basically know them by heart. I I still like found it to be a lot of fun. Um, there's definitely a lot of jokes that like you know I know now are super problematic. There was definitely a lot of that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I can like you know. Put the, that in perspective. The one that know. stood out to me was Steve Carell's introduction. Yeah, yep, that yeah. one didn't land. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like 15 I, years I, later, like I saw it was about to happen, and I played through the script in my head, and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> oh, no!" I, yeah, I there forgot that they actually said it, but yeah, yeah. exactly. But they did. Um, yeah, but, um, I mean, that feels like it was like right at the time when people like became massively aware that you shouldn't use that word that way uh, <clears throat> like it, right in that era like where it was still okay and no one's going to notice it but like even a year or two later like it would be like oh well maybe not it was one. probably the last moment that you could like that's what do I mean. it yes. without without people like, like, being, like a massive what backlash. An asshole. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah i think that that's where that struck but yeah i feel like i cringe the most at that it, otherwise it, i found the movie to be mostly harmless like, they had a few gay jokes too yeah um, yeah, like was also common for the time. A lot of uh, Rob Bartry's character was just one big gay joke, or not Rob Bartry, uh, yeah. David Keckner. Yeah, 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 that guy um, was one big, one big gay joke. Yeah. Um, and okay, fine. Like, yeah, that's yeah. Like, what, again, that's basically what I would expect here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't come into this with high expectations, um, and I was still like kind of flabbergasted that this is all this movie was. <laughs> like, you got out in 90 minutes, so you're right, not I didn't even commit like, that much to yeah. it. Um, it still felt longer. Like, it, we're getting to the end where he's, like, at the bar and, like, all, you know, bearded up and stuff. And it's like, okay, like, I know where this is going. Like, let's let's move it along. Yeah, I, I, um, I like, paused to go to the bathroom during the movie, yeah. and I, I saw the end, and it was, like, it said like an hour and a half. I was like, an hour and a half? Holy shit, there's so much left in this movie. Yeah. And then I realized it was like, no, that's like the total of the movie and we're like yeah. almost there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's about it. <laughs> I was that's, like, oh, okay. I mean, but that's like, I think a side of a good comedy because... They should be short. Yeah, they should be, for sure. Yeah, I, I think like... You don't want to overstate The lesson from Wayne's World is like, once you hit like 80 minutes, just like close out. Yeah, like, don't wrap it up, guys. Don't try and like... Yeah. Redeem the characters. Yeah, and they still, like, my point of reference for a lot of these SNL movies are Wayne's World and, like, the Adam Sandler movies. Like, I saw a lot of those when I was in, like, middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm comparing a lot of this to. And I'm sure if I went back to those, they'd be straight garbage and just, like, unwatchable. I mean, it's smarter Which, than an Adam Sandler movie, I feel like. Which Adam really? Sandler movies like, are we talking about, like, yeah. uh, uh, Happy Gilmore and... Yeah, like that era. So, like, those, I think... Those feel more like one-note jokes, whereas, like, here they, like, try and do something... Like, this is just, like, a pastiche of scenes where they're just, like, trying to do something different in every scene, similar to Wayne's World. Yeah, I guess. Like, to me, the, it, it this felt like the, it, the jokes were just, like, what, either, like, what well can we return to over and over again? It's like, oh, what about a prank phone call joke? Or, like, what ridiculous thing can we say? Right, where it, was, it really was just entirely about absurdity and ridiculousness and, like, nothing else. Um, and I'm not going to defend Sandler here, like that. Defend Sandler, do it. That's not my point. Do it. Um, but I, for what this movie is, like, it's just it, it, it leaned so heavily on like just random nonsense, which felt so much of the era. Like there was so much of just something being unexpected, and that's it, constituting a joke, and like. I think that's kind of what was going on here. Like that San Diego means whale's vagina, right? Like that's nothing, right? That's nothing. There's, there's, it's just well, something that I mean, it's make obviously sense. like the funniest riff that they had, right? Because like. Yeah, they probably had how many takes of that, right? Probably a ton. And I'm yeah. sure they said a bunch of dumb stuff. Right. And exactly. this, that was just like the I funniest. I love the blooper of that one. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's funny when you do it all in a row like that. But like when you sit down and like watch. A movie of just that stuff over and over again for me it was just like numbing I'm just, where it's just like one disconnected bit of 
random verbiage after another. You know, like, I can't. I don't know. I, I really like the, the tone um, of all the, the jokes, right? And you say it's like random nonsense, but there's like a specific like well, quality to it that I found very funny. Yeah, it's just like silly. Like that's where the comedy comes from, yeah, right? It where it's like there's like a that, silliness. It fits into that like elevated like view of their gentlemanliness or masculinity and kind of pokes fun at that, and I find that very funny. Yeah, I think that, like, it, th- that's as high-minded as the movie can get, and, like, that's not bad. Like, that, that is a reasonable thing to critique, right? Like, that's worthwhile. I wish that Christina Applegate had anything to do here, right? She has, like, three jokes, maybe, in this movie. So, like, it's this movie about how, like, the boys' club doesn't let the girl play and, like, is, has this gated community where she's not invited, but then the movie itself is also like, the woman can't be funny, right? And to me, it's this, once again, like you critiquing, when critiquing the social phenomena is also replicating the social phenomena, like that's not actual critique, that's just replicating the social phenomena. And I think this movie was guilty of that, right? Where like they, they give Christina Applegate like so little uh, humor relative to the other characters that I think they kind of undermine the point. I don't know if that really undermines the point, though. Like, she's supposed to be the competent one out of all of them, and they're funny because they're the goofs, right? But we appreciate her for her talents. Point of comparison. Um, we've all seen Arrested Development. Yeah. Yeah. Michael's hilarious, right? Jason Bateman is really, really funny in that show, right? And he's the straight man, right? Like, he's the competent one. He's the one that's supposed to be, like, holding everything together. He's the one that's not absurd and all this, right? Like, he has the Christina Applegate role here. Still is funny. This movie, she had, she, in terms of like the function that she's supposed to play within the narrative and within the ensemble, is pretty much the same as Michael in, in Arrested Development, but it, the difference is she's not funny. She doesn't have any jokes, yeah. right? Or like very few jokes. And like that stinks, right? Like it's, it's a shame that that's, that's where they landed on this one. Um, and especially when they're the, if there is a point to this movie, the point is that you shouldn't do that. Like it, it feels, you know, self-contradicting in, in in that point. This is definitely felt like it was like of the early aughts. Like Absolutely. it's it's yeah, it's yeah. like got to be one of the most of that era films. Probably because it was that era was like so defined by Will Ferrell Will films. Ferrell. Yeah. yeah, well, it's like this one. I think in this comedy. one and yeah. Napoleon Dynamite. Um, and then, but I feel like everybody kind of regrets Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure people still like it. You really? Yeah, I never saw it actually, but I, the, what little bits of it I did see, I felt like I didn't like. It's yeah. like a very unique style, right? And you're kind of in it or not. And it's the same with Anchorman. Yeah, it's just this like goof character that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but but this like reminds me of a lot of like, I mean, Tal Talladega Nights and Step Brothers and you know the, all the like John C. Riley, Will Ferrell, yes, combos. Which interestingly have like not because they just released one the like Holmes and Watson one which came out like a few mm-hmm. months ago. That was um, uh, John C. Riley and Steve Coogan. No, it was um, it was Will Ferrell. Was Will Ferrell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. It was Will Ferrell. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the John C. Riley had a different movie as well that was like good. Yeah, well, released at the same time. That's normal. He's yeah. he's, he's a, a worker. Lot. You might be yeah. thinking of that one. He he is a worker. But yeah. he did release a film with Will Ferrell that was about Sherlock Holmes that was a disaster. Oh, about Sherlock Holmes. I was thinking of the one with um, yeah. uh, Steve Coogan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I don't know which one that is. Uh, but, yeah, because yeah, there's Holmes and Watson, which is what you're thinking of, and I'm thinking of Stan and Ollie, yeah, um, which yeah. is the other one. Yeah, but Holmes and Watson was interesting because it, it felt like they're like, let's just like you know, get the band back together yeah. and like did, did try and find the magic again. No. Uh, <laughs> I thought the trailer was funny. But then I bet that's the only funny part of the movie. That's that is my suspicion as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. If, yeah. If, I don't know. Did you see it or? I did not see it. No. Yeah. But the trailers, right. like, they just didn't seem that interesting, and the. I mean, it had like a joke in it, which I thought was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes are good. In the it's it's yeah. a good start, yeah. But like the reviews for that were so catastrophically bad. They were really bad. I think it was close to a zero percenter. Yeah. Cool. John um, <laughs> <laughs> C. Riley is all over the map, man. Like he really is. There is no swingier actor. In yeah. terms of like review response uh, in the industry, like he is just does it all in every respect. Uh, this movie came out right around the time we saw 
like the resurgence of Family Guy. And like that's what I was reminded of here. Like this is Family Guy humor, right? Where it's just like constant cutaways. Like the cutaways here are just like the same characters, but just like doing another nonsense joke. And like, like this irreverent kind of thing and like randomness standing alone is amusing. Like that's what I was reminded of here. It, it definitely gets pretty random, but yeah. which is interesting because the movie seems very grounded at the beginning and then goes like to the fantastic. Right. Uh, the, the by, by the, yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I didn't know that that um, flute sequence was coming. Like, oh, really? Yeah. I, I had no idea that was <laughs> Did you nice. find that funny or? No. Uh, really? I think I think that's one of the better jokes in the movie. Yeah, no, I yeah. was just like, okay, I, I get it. Like he's, that was one he's, that actually like still makes me laugh. Okay. Like, like he was good, there's a good physical humor to it. Yeah, I love when he's like, I wasn't expecting you. Like he's like, that was, that was that. the best joke in that thing where he's like, oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting it, and they pull, he, he, he has to sleep. Like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that, that one worked. But with, like humor that's just absurdist or like re- relying on just a guy being an asshole, like because he was just a dick. He's like stepping all over people's drinks and like all this you know bravado and things like that like doesn't land for me anymore like i don't think that that made it out of high school and so if i didn't absorb this in high school there's no way yeah i mean i have no idea how i would react to this type of humor right as like who i am now because like even viewing this now and trying to view it with today's lens i still have the memory of like how i felt about this humor when i first saw it of course right and i'll always react to those jokes that way because i have that memory of it yeah, and I think that that's fine and normal, and that's like how people are gonna like. I, I imagine if I sat down and watched like, you know, Wedding Singer or something, it would probably still resonate in a lot of ways. Although that's probably the best of the Adam Sandler. Yeah, movies. and that's like a serious one, right? Or it has like a serious note to it, right? It, there's a coherency to it that a lot of those other movies. Well, it's not like. like just like every scene is like a different joke, right? Right. right. There's like, a like narrative. Wayne's World is that right? Where like yeah, every I mean, scene is like a constructed joke. Right. Well, yeah. It doesn't feel because like I, I watched Anchorman and I feel like somebody took an SNL sketch and like added an hour twenty to it. It's not actually an SNL movie. Though, no, right? well, it doesn't. It, it doesn't come from. It comes out of SNL for sure. Right. But like it's it, not. When I say SNL movie, I, I think I use a broader definition. Of just that. like people from SNL. Right. And, or like something like if you pare this down, like it could be a sketch on SNL. Do you yeah. think Seinfeld is an SNL? No. <laughs> sketch. <What>? Okay. Because <laughs> uh, what's her face is that Elaine. Was it oh, not just, yeah, not just like people that are in SNL, but like okay. something that you could imagine them like. There's SNL I'm in it. It comes as like a spinoff of an SNL career, and yes. if you pare this down, you can imagine it being a sketch on SNL, right? And I think that yeah. you, could, you could do that, right? Like if you take the Ron Burgundy character, like, and it, you would just take like a scene in this movie, right? Yeah. Any, any scene that he's behind the desk, and you put that on SNL, it would basically function and it would probably be funny, right? And you recur that a few times, and there you go. Um, and to me, this feels like somebody just like wrote a sketch that they really liked as a pitch for SNL and said, "Let's make this a movie." Yeah, I mean, Will Ferrell comes from that right. background. And that so. very well means what literally happened. Yeah, um, and that—that's my sense of this movie, and basically what I mean when I say SNL movie. Like okay, that, that's my personal definition of that term. Do you like Austin Powers? Not really. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Though that's the other point of reference here. Yeah. yeah. Although my, my I enjoyed those a ton, so this tracks accurately. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, I like Asa Bears a lot. The sequels I can give her, like, and leave. I haven't seen the sequels. I saw the first one. I was like, okay, fine. Although I'd be interested to rewatch Austin Powers to like yeah, go for see it, see if it holds up. They, they ruined James Bond. Yeah, yeah. that that which um, is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, like because the, the best James Bonds were the ones that were a little bit more serious, like Run Rush with Love and um, Casino Royale and all those. Goldeneye. Gold, Gold, Gold Knight was not serious, but like that defined it's the one I like, the like silly Bond, right? Like that's the the best of that category of Bond movie, yeah. okay. right? Like the that's the Honey Dick one. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Alison Powers is probably another good point of reference here. It's a little earlier than this movie, like, yeah. It's like I want to say two thousand or something, but um, yeah, it, it definitely. Pre- I'm, it might even be like ninety nine. Alison Powers I would, or ninety eight. I would even. believe it. Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't know, like that. And it has Will Ferrell. Does it? Yeah. He has a brief cameo as like one of the henchmen that, with the with the Fez. Yeah, he's still sure. like on uh, SNL at this point, so it's like a bit role for him. Okay. Yeah, um, I think his joke was he like gets he gets burned alive, but then he's like alive. And he's just screaming for a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have no memory of this, but I he comes back it. in the sequels because <laughs> yeah. he was like so funny in the first one. Okay. Uh, speaking of which, what what are our favorite jokes? What's it, what's your favorite joke in? 
Um, I always go back to the 60% of the time it works every time. It's just a spin-off of a Yogi Berra quote. I don't know that. Okay. I just love the absurdity and the versatility of that quote. Oh, like I, I've ever seen that the first time. I was like, Yogi Berra said that 40 years ago. <laughs> Why are they just plagiarizing him? Uh, so, okay. Like, yeah, that would, it is funny. Ball Red's funny. But it was also funny when Yogi Berra said it. Um, I like when they were talking about diversity and like their team meeting. Yeah. And he says it's like a boat or like a, like a wooden ship. Wooden oh. ship. Yeah, yeah, again, total nonsense. <laughs> I get it. The ship is named Diversity, but yeah. I, I thought that was funny. Yeah, that one. They're just yeah. that clueless about what it could be. Okay. Yeah. My yeah. favorite joke and one of the nine things that I laughed at, because I started writing them down after the first two. Okay. <laughs> so the first one that I wrote down Yeah, was, well, I would love to run through this list. Okay, so the first one that I wrote down um, is when they're in bed the first time, uh, Will Ferrell and Christina Applegate, and she starts speaking Spanish. Yeah, and he has her stop, but the dog responds. Yeah, because they established earlier that the dog speaks Spanish. That was funny. That was the, the dog responding. You know, I missed the dog responding, and this is after having seen this movie a million times. <laughs> okay. Never caught the dog responding. Yeah, so the dog responds when she says something in Spanish because okay. <laughs> the dog speaks Spanish, which they established earlier in the movie. Okay, so I, that I made just me laugh. Him saying like, "I don't speak that" or "speak English" or something. Okay, uh, oh. for some reason, I liked them singing "Afternoon Delight." That one worked for me. I think because that scene is super funny. That scene is funny, and I yeah. think the reason I liked it, and the reason that many of the other jokes didn't land for me, is that it's not mean spirited. Like, there's nothing, there's no like butt of that joke, and like there's no target, mm. like to be laughed at in that joke. It's just like here's a fun thing that's happening. Yeah, and like the singing was actually and good. Their <laughs> definition of love is having sex in the afternoon. Right, right. Like, I, I like that. So I think that that. Is why that one worked for me. I, I love David Koechner in that scene too. Yes, yeah. he does yeah. the like the pew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. That that was great. And then yeah. they call it back later on. So that's joke number four. I didn't write down the first two, and I forgot what they were. Um, I for number three, all I wrote down was currently dating, and I don't know what that note means. Um, but it's in quotes, so apparently that's something somebody said. Some some were some of the crew, or two of the cast members currently dating or something? No, that was, uh, I remember now, it was when Will Ferrell is on the air and he says, this is the woman I'm currently oh, dating. yeah. Um, that one made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that that yes. landed. Um, number six um, is when Will Ferrell is running back to the station after his dog dies. And like they're not on the air, and he takes a break to grab a cigarette from somebody. Yeah, yeah, that one worked. Like that, taking a break makes sense, but then that it's incongruous with smoking. That one landed. Like there's some sense to that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so I like that joke. Um, number seven, um, Ron gets his name wrong. I don't know what that means. He says, "I'm Ron Burgundy." Not that one, because okay. I already knew that one. Oh no, it's when um, he says when he almost says, "I'm Pitts McGee." Oh, oh that yeah. One yeah. Great prank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That one that one landed for me. Um, so that that joke worked. Number eight um, is when they have when they're having the fight with all the other news people. Yeah. And Steve Carell has a grenade. Yep. <laughs> like that. That I thought was funny. But then they step on it a little bit later when he says, Why do you have a grenade? And it's like, just let the visual joke be the visual joke. Like it worked just like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last one, which is number nine, um, is that is at the very end during the credits when they ask Steve Carell if he's going to have a celebrity golf tournament again, and he says, "Oh no, too many people died in the last one." <laughs> That's one of like the deleted jokes. Too, that was right? that one might have been my favorite yeah. joke, other than the, great. the Spanish dog thing. Um, those are the nine times that I laughed. That, okay. that was only seven. Wow. But I don't remember. I mean, two. that's still a decent number of times. That was, yeah, I guess. yeah. You that's... already heard a lot of the, the right. So I already references. knew the Panther joke. I already knew the Ron Burgundy with the question mark thing. Yeah. Um, I yeah, knew, that's so quoted. Yeah, that, that escalated quickly. The escalate quickly. Comes up a lot. Um, I knew that one. Um, the San Diego, what San Diego means bit. Yeah. Um, I feel like those are the big ones. I knew all that stuff. So those, yeah. that, I mean, even if half of those land, so we're up to 11. If all of them land, we're up to 13, I guess. Yeah. We're, start, not, we're still not, talking about like an audible and this was not it's like not a guffaw like anytime I this I wrote on anytime I audibly laughed okay sure this is what this is um, I, <laughs> I like the I think actually some of my favorite scenes are when they're like introducing the character of Ron Burgundy and he's like, like at the beginning of the movie yeah when he's like doing all the voice exercises and like drinking scotch and, <laughs> and yeah, smoking sure. and okay like I, during the opening credits yeah yeah okay. I thought that sequence was like very funny sure um, and I think it 
it sets the like tone and like era well. Yeah, like yeah. this movie definitely knows what it is. Right? Yeah, like there's no no question about that. Like it is it is very consciously a very dumb movie, and you know, fine. Like that's. Oh, the other thing that didn't hold up, Ben Stiller is the like Hispanic news yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely brown face. Yeah. Ben Stiller's role is pretty racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I don't have that many notes on this. One of, Applegate doesn't get to be funny. Um, voiceover is bad. Jack Black is in this movie. Jack yeah. Black was he in is. this movie, yeah. yeah. Uh, gay jokes, question mark. Um, Seth Rogen is the cameraman. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Danny Trejo is the bartender. Most of my notes are just like, oh, this guy's in the. I definitely like didn't people. know who Danny Trejo was when the movie came out. So yeah, I think it was. It was funny that littler, littler dealer then. This was before Breaking Bad. Yeah, I think he was like mostly known from like Desperado at, mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. yeah, that would have been like late nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, right? that's probably a sweet movie that doesn't hold up. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I haven't seen in a little while. Yeah. And after all these viewings, I did catch a new joke this time. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, it's when he first sees um, Christina Applegate's character at the yeah. party. Yeah. And he like goes into his house and just like looks around and comes back out. And he says, "I've lost her." Right. And I always thought the joke was just him like saying, "I've lost her" in such a dramatic fashion. I didn't catch that he literally walked into his house and like looked around and didn't search at all and gives up. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was <laughs> the whole that that was the joke. You're yeah. probably right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I did not catch that as a joke either. But you're you're probably correct. They, they cut the camera in like a really good way to show how like little effort he put how in. little effort he put in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, and I just never noticed that because I was always fixated on like the kind of the way he says I've lost her. Okay. Yeah. You, you're probably. I missed that also. But yes, you were probably. Correct. Yeah. I like during during that whole sequence that they're like their setup is like really cool. Um, yes. Well, like, it reminded me of Boogie Nights. Like, yeah. It seems like yeah. it's supposed to be referencing that. I or, think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is a good good place to draw from. Yeah, where they're yeah. just like having fun at a party and right, like, it's a good time sequence. And yeah, even, like the, the the setup of the house and the pool and like yeah. where the drink art is, like it is almost exactly like Boogie Nights. So yeah, and I think they have even some of the same songs or the same similar soundtrack anyway. Um, so I think that they're big seventies hits. Yeah, I think they're meant to be drawing on that movie yeah. specifically. Um, so yeah, yeah. Did you ever get around to seeing the sequel? I did, and it was awful. It was so bad. It's not, it's like, (laughs) this era of comedy is just gone. Yeah, they made it nine years later. I'm like, why? Like, this movie already felt like you were just kind of getting lucky with the jokes, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of held together in just the right way, and they tried to do it again, but you don't do that by force. You can't make it happen, right? And it was just terrible. Also, even worse is they have Brick's, the Steve Carell's character, Brick have a bigger role mm-hmm. in the yeah. sequel. And he's like the most problematic character. Right. Yeah. And he has a bigger role in that movie, right? And like here, like, you know, I like some of his, like, as a side character, I think he a has little bit charm. Can go along, right? yeah. um, but when he has more screen time, it's awful. And he finds Kristen Wiig playing a female version of him, essentially, and they fall in love. And so it's like twice the dose of... Yeah, well, this is like after The Office. Like, The Office had started when the first one came out. But like yeah. this is like... The Office is the biggest sitcom yeah. of the last 20 years. Yeah, Steve Carell became so of course he's bigger be, than the other cast members. Yeah, so of course he's going to get a bigger role, right? Like he's yeah, the most famous guy in the movie. It was terrible. Um, I found it funny that... Well, funny, not in like actually funny. I found right. it funny that they tried to recreate the fight sequence but bigger, so they had like more news members join, and like Kanye West shows up, and, sure. and like, <laughs> sure. uh, you, you can't you can't force this kind of thing again. It yeah. was just so bad. Yeah, I, yeah. The the notion of like doing comedies to sequels is like, just don't. Like, yeah. don't don't it, do it. Especially like, when it's this type of comedy sequel. Yeah, there's like, what what else do you need to? There's no there's no discover. Yeah, there's no like sincerity or like heartfelt moments in this movie right like it's it, you're not meant to connect with these people as people like they're all objects they're all just like joke machines right where it, it and i think that if you need it can't it, like you look at good comedy sequels it's a pretty short list but in terms of like recent history like guardians 2 i think is basically good like guardians of the galaxy 2 and like the first yeah. one is definitely a comedy and the second one is definitely a comedy and the reason it works is a it is not mean-spirited Right, which I think this movie is, and I think where this humor has stayed, why it has stayed in the past, is because it's so mean to people, and we just aren't into that anymore. Um, and Guardians is also about people growing and changing, 
right? Mm -hmm. And like becoming something more. And if you can still ground the jokes in those characters, which they are in Guardians, like then it can work. Whereas this movie, like this is not about growth and change, right? Like these people are, it, like we have like a very perfunctory kind of Will Ferrell learns what he has to do to like get his job back type of sequence. But these these people basically end the movie where they started the movie, and that combined with the meanness means I think it's really hard to make a sequel to this to this kind of thing that still works, um, and really hard to watch these movies now if you hadn't seen them when you were in high school because like humor based on cruelty like isn't getting us anywhere anymore like it isn't landing anymore um which i think it's fundamentally my problem with this movie it just felt really mean and you know. i never thought of anchorman that way yeah i mean like it's a mean movie like there's they're so mean to the christina applegate character and like there are long sequences that are just based on jokes they're not jokes but just based on insults right like just mm -hmm. based on like here we're going to be cruel to one another and like the movie itself is cruel to the steve Carell character it's cruel to like the mentally handicapped and gay people in general, right? Like, there's just so much about this movie that, like, isn't, it isn't pleasant to be around that anymore, right? And, like, it's so much about the culture now and the, our political landscape is so cruel and we see the effects of that cruelty so plainly. And you see people that grew up on this kind of humor actually engaging in that cruelty that, like, watching it for pleasure now doesn't, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right, like I think that you need to. Why you see more humor these days and more comedy these days that do work, based on people that like one another, right? I, I also think that the like ran, I think you were right comparing it to Family Guy earlier, but like the <clears throat> the random comedy mm -hmm. I think is like pretty played out at this point. It's, yeah. it's the reason why The Simpsons is bad now. Yeah, um, if Family Guy isn't funny anymore, so when you just have like just like random collections of scenes that form your comedy that seems to have fallen off quite a bit right well i uh, think you can track this with like you look at the evolution of michael Shear shows right because you see the office into parks and rec into good place right and you have the office where especially early in the run very mean show like a very the characters are yeah. very very cruel to one another and a lot of just random nonsense from the steve Carell character whereas parks and rec it's basically about what if it's the office, but like everybody is relatively competent and likes one another? You even right? watch it evolve like mid show yep. from one to the other. Right. And because and it ran long enough that you can see comedy evolve within that show. And then you look at Good Place, where it's about not just them liking one another, but them loving one another and like genuinely grappling with how to be decent people, right? And still being funny and learning and growing over the course of it. Like, I think you can see comedy evolve over the 2000s over the course of those shows. Mm -hmm. And Anchorman feels ancient, feels absolutely ancient in, in that context. I mean, comedy just evolves fast, too. Yeah, that's, it, that's part of it. The, yeah, like, that is the nature of comedy. It's hard to have one that lasts. Like, I'm thinking of like funny stuff of like recently. Um, like, it's definitely much more character driven. Um, like, I thought Girls mm -hmm. Trip was really funny. Seen. But it's mostly because of. Um, Tiffany Haddish. Yeah, Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. And she's just so funny in mm -hmm. that movie because she's just like out of control. That is Whereas something I'm wondering. The it, jokes from like the other characters in that movie like don't really land because mm -hmm. like yeah. she's funny. Yeah. And some of the others are like, meh. Yeah. yeah. But, but even in terms of yeah. like the middle level comedies, that we, like, uh, anybody seen Neighbors? Either one of them? Yeah. Right? Like, I like movie, both of them. I like both of them too. Like, I think they're both really good. And that was the, uh, the frat. Right. So it's Seth um, Rogen. Yeah, so yeah, I saw the first one. Yeah, it was great. Like it was a, it was a fun, like solid comedy, and it's about people that are like genuinely growing, learning how to be close to one another, and like maturing and growing, right? Like that's well, they are fighting with the with the Fred, right? But it, it never feels like it never feels cruel, right? It never feels mean. It feels like they each have a perspective, and they each have like a legitimate grievance, and they learn how to like come together with that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not about one person dominating the other or overcoming one another. What they're learning is how to, like, how to get along, right? Like how to mm -hmm. yeah, be nice to one another. And I think that that is something that we have gained within the last 10 years or so in comedy yeah. to our benefit. That's, this is a good thing. Yeah. I think I'm challenged a lot by like comedy audiences though. How do you mean? Well, I I think like I like Rick and Morty a lot. I, I think, do too. I think it's a really funny show. Mm -hmm. um, but it has a terrible fan base. Yeah, it has a really bad fan base, which makes <laughs> it like hard to like uh, as a show. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that I think that's a legitimate critique of the show. Actually, I think it makes Rick look too cool. I, I don't I don't know if it does. I'm just like 
confused by the em embrace of the nihilism of the show. Yeah. Because it seems to be what the show is trying to critique. I agree. Uh, but people seem to like it for that. Yeah. Or well, uh, seem to think that they're very smart for liking the show. Clearly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the joke about Rick and Morty fans, right? Yeah. Like, you have to be smart to like this show that plays on Adult Swim. Yeah. But no, you don't. <laughs> but I think that it is legitimate to critique Dan Harmon on those grounds, right? If that many people in your audience are misunderstanding your show, like, you know, maybe you need to make some adjustments. Maybe. I mean, it's also, like, the nature of Adult Swim has kind of changed, and it, like, comes out of that oof. Yeah, <laughs> of, right. Well, of, I, like, of, like, where, again, like, it, it comes from, like, very nihilistic, like, random shows. Right. But I think that idea has kind of not aged great either, right? Well, you, there's just only so much that you can do, I think. Right. Well, like, and I think yeah. the point of comparison here with um, Rick and Morty and Rick Sanchez as a character is Bojack Horseman, right? Because Bo I don't think either of you have actually seen Bojack No, I've watched the two it. seasons it's of it. It's great. I love that show. Um, and it, it has a, a similarly nihilistic character and a similarly like despicable character, but there's nothing aspirational to him. Nobody watches sits down and watches Bojack Horseman and is like, yeah, I want to be like Bojack, despite him being like a famous TV star who's also a millionaire, right? Like, they, they can communicate that type of character without having the character be glorified. And to me, that's kind of a blow to Rick and Morty, right? That, that, that's, that's a problem that that show needs to address. I, yeah, I don't know if, I, if I'm as high on um, Bojack as you are, but like, I, I do... I do see like the value in the in the show. No, I, like, I think it's a good show. I like yeah. Rick and Morty. I, I think it's good, and I think that when it is properly understood, it's even better. Um, but it's the the fact that it's so often misunderstood. I think is a problem. I think it's a problem. Yeah, I think they need to do well. I mean, Marvel has like a similar issue, right? Where it has like kind of a toxic fan base where people are, like complain when there's like a woman cast it or like yeah i'm not convinced story. that those people are marvel fans but like comic books let's say yeah like yeah film. <laughs> it, i guess film. it's it's like nerd culture yeah yeah right, right. That's what i it, mean i think the yeah. problem with shows like rick and morty is that people don't want to question their existing beliefs right and a lot of the kind of nerdy personality who's going to watch that kind of show yeah. value rick's brand of intelligence and like competence so highly that they're not going to actually see the negative features of his character they just see what they perceive as his positives right yeah and that's kind of a similar thing bringing it back that happens in anchorman where people see like ron burgundy's masculinity mm -hmm. and they kind of glorify that aspect of his character because he's an important man with leather-bound books <laughs> um and that is something that kind of happened that's kind of why people quoted it so much right yeah so they value that kind of brand of masculinity but looking back it all looks so silly yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, that that's that's what, you see the same thing. This isn't a comedy, but you see the same thing at Fight Club, right? Like people sit yeah. home and watch this Fight Club and, so much. and want to be like Tyler Durden, right? And you have um, the director saying like, "Oh yeah, it was supposed to be a satire by Act Three. Like people are supposed to figure out that you're not supposed to be on the side anymore." But when like people are actually starting Fight Clubs, like that, yeah, it's a problem with the audience misunderstanding the film. But it might be a problem with the film. Right, it might yeah. be you not well, communicating. I think it's also like way. a problem with the culture, right? Where there's yeah, like there's, there's no outlet for like wayward use. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what do so, they? They end up being internet Nazis. Yeah, starting fight clubs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one thing I'm wondering is, back in the day when Anchorman was out, it felt like the comedy films were much bigger in culture than they are now. So back then we had movies like Anchorman and like Superbad. And Super bad. Like that's another that. big one. <laughs> um, movies that, Austin like, Powers. Yeah, yeah, Austin Powers. Movies that were comedies that everybody talked about and referenced all the mm -hmm. time, right? And maybe, over, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that one's my favorite comedy, actually. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I also haven't seen that. Okay. Well, I mean, we probably don't want to do two comedies, but that one's my favorite comedy <laughs> okay. of all time. But anyway, um, these days I don't get the sense that comedy movies are that big anymore. They don't define our culture nearly as much, and I wonder why that is. So we don't feel we don't see like. What are the good comedy movies that have come out in recent years? We well, it's that same girl strip. Like, yeah, that was pretty funny. 
Okay, yeah. I, I didn't see that one. I don't feel like I hear people talking about that one, right? Bridesmaids. The best ones I've seen. Dude, that's like more than five years old now, right? Is it? Yeah. It's right been is. out for a while. So, like, yeah. the, the best comedies I've seen lately are, like, Game Night, yeah. The Neighbors series, 21 Jump Street, yeah. right? But that was already a while ago, too. And these are movies that I don't feel like people talk that much about or reference. Like, they don't have the same, like, cultural presence that they did in the early 2000s. And yeah, I wonder I think why. That- yeah, like what we've understood as comedies have changed a little bit too, right? Because yeah. like it's hard to do a movie that's just jokes, like just wall-to-wall jokes. That's fair, right? And like what like Anchorman is supposed to be, or like Austin Powers, or any of these movies. And I, so, so I think what we start seeing is like it would be fair to call Lego Movie a comedy. Yeah. Right. And but that's also a movie that can make you cry. Right, and when a movie makes you cry, you don't think of it as a comedy anymore. Well, and I think that might be part of it. I also think that like one of the main point of movies right now is to not offend their audience, mm-hmm. and just because like it's, I don't. Know, I, I think we've moved into a moment where like movies are just meant to be as non-offensive as possible to like capture as many box office dollars as possible. That's been over a long time, right? Yeah, but I think now, like, I don't think it would be possible to do comedy that is not overtly political now Does because, not yeah, political? okay, because I, I think this, like, movies like this, like, avoided politics like as much as possible, right? Which and, is and, interesting because Adam McCann ended up going out to make two very, very political movies. Yeah, and and I just don't think that there's like a way to like post like 2016 not make something that's like not a political statement either through mm-hmm. its uh like overt messaging or mm-hmm. casting or you know whatever like like um like i think get out is a good example of this right like get out is funny like it has there are jokes in it yeah, yeah. it's made by me yeah but like i don't i don't think you could grapple with a movie like get out without the sort of political atmosphere that it comes out in. and it's unavoidable yeah, yeah. and i think like post 2016 era for sure like if you are doing something that is not political you are not making good content <laughs> yeah or it's, it's impossible to even if it's not intended as political it's impossible to not read it, the politics of it right yeah like it's, it, to like find it in there yeah right because like even anchorman you're like there's a politic to this movie yeah but it, it's still like it's back it's not really, the point of the movie it's not intended yeah but it's there yeah, that it's like this very you know liberalized take. On I mean, it has the same joke that Austin Powers did, which is like, "Hey, do you remember this thing that was like sure. sexist and like of its time? Is, right. Isn't that funny?" Right, and and, and, oh, and it, just reproduce like, it. Like, I think it lands. Like, I think it's funny, but I I think we're just like past that moment now. Like, yeah, like right. I don't think we can. Like, if you're making comedy that's not political, like, it's probably not very good. And to make it political, I think, now means to make it human. Yeah. Like, to have people in it. Yeah. To have people telling these jokes and, like, characters that look like they're, they have dimension to them and depth and an inner life, right? Like, you can't really imagine the inner life of any of these people in Anchorman. Whereas you look at modern comedies, and I think it's, it's far more common to think of the character as more central to what's going on. Like more character-driven comedy as opposed to joke or situation-driven comedy. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the two comedies I've seen that I enjoyed most recently. I mentioned Game Night before, mm-hmm. um, but also Tag. I enjoyed that quite a bit. It was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either of those is a political movie at all. But the characters all felt very relatable and very real, right? And the situations they get into, or the commentary that the movies are making, are about real issues. Because like Game Night talked about things like. Um, competitiveness and like mm-hmm. sibling rivalries and things like that. Uh, Tag dealt with like friend groups and how they interact with each other. You know, once they split apart over time, yeah. Over time, yeah. Um, and those aren't that political, but they're still compelling and still useful. It's just strange that these movies aren't as prominent in our like day to day lives as they used to be. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. Seen I think that's like a, you know the fracturing of the box office too. That's true. It's just like you know, there's a million ways to get what you're looking for, and, and maybe we Marvel's all like just find it. Up all of that headspace, probably. Yeah, and because the, plenty of the Marvel movies you would just call comedies, yeah, right? Like not just Guardians, but like all of them have jokes. All even the ones about the, the apocalypse have jokes in them, 
or and you look at like um, Adam McKay wrote Ant Man. That that movie is a comedy, definitely. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok is a comedy, right? Yeah. Like, it. I think a lot of those also kind of fill that space because like that Marvel becomes just so dominating in popular consciousness. So like if you're saying like we're missing the Superbads and the Anchormans and the Austin Powers from the early two thousands, like what's occupying that space? Maybe it's Ant Man. Yeah. Right. Like that's maybe it's, <laughs> it's the Ragnarok. Yeah, just all the investment dollars are just going into right. That. So now, now, now the Marvel movies are the the blockbuster action movies. They're the fantasy sci-fi movies. Yeah. They're the comedy movies. It's just everything is now just in this category. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how the studio system has moved us away from mid-sized films, right? And a lot of these comedies feel like kind of that range of movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You have like you genre, know, high-budget casts and yeah. things like that. But they're not. They don't go into the special effects or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of right in the middle, and they get pulled out. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, I just assume like a lot of that talent is also just like going to TV. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. The, 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 it's not or, a novel point to say the best comedy is on TV, but the best comedy is on TV. Like it, <laughs> it is, um, and it can't all be watched. There's a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, any closing thoughts on Anchorman? I, I yeah. still find it delightful, yeah. I'm never going to watch this movie again. If okay. I'm lucky. <laughs> You'll <laughs> still hear about it. That's probably true. Like that, that's it. Um, in any case, <laughs> we will be back in a moment with things we've seen. Uh, stay tuned. And we're back with things we've seen. Uh, this is a segment on the show where we discuss movies we have seen more recently in theaters or things that are new to us that we watch on the various streaming services available in our homes. Uh, Crossman, you're up first this week. What did you see? Uh, yeah, so I watched um, Widows, Ooh, I which like Widows. is a heist movie that came out last year, starring Viola Davis primarily, Liam Neeson, and a Elizabeth few. Debicki. Yes, yes. Interesting take on the heist genre, where it starts with a heist that goes wrong. All the men that were involved in the heist get killed. Their wives and yeah, their their widows are <laughs> sort of left on the hook for their crimes. So Viola Davis decides to solve this problem by completing the heist that their uh, their <clears throat> now dead husbands. Uh, yeah, like were. left behind like a plan. Yeah, 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 and it sort of goes from there. Um, it's set in Chicago, and their heist is to uh, to rob a uh, sort of like political dynasty family who are. Definitely involved in organized crime, or at least like glad-handing Chicago politics. Very believable in that sense. There's a political rivals of that family who are sort of like an upstart politician who's like from the neighborhood, who's uh, like looking to take the alderman spot that um, Colin Farrell, Farrell, um, his character, is like running for. Robert Duvall is his dad. Yes. He's the elder. Yeah. But the, the like upstart politician is like who Viola Davis and the crew like kind of owe money to. Mm-hmm. And there's like a number of like threats that are made for them to like get the money. I thought this is an interesting movie just that it's like a group of women that are doing a fairly violent heist movie. I think it's unique in that sense. Mm-hmm. I think Viola Davis is, is great here, but almost like too dour. Like it doesn't. It's chilly. Yeah, yeah, um, and I get it. Like she's go- her character's gone through a lot, yeah. um, but there's 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 like a lack of like there's there's no like fun moment in this movie. Which when I think of like heist movies, I'm always like, oh, there's something like cool or like fun this that happens. Tense. And yeah, yeah, it's like super tense, and it's like it's a bummer through like throughout. <laughs> yeah. um, I also think that they spend a lot of time on like the planning and prep, which is like interesting Mm -hmm. content and it's interesting to deal with sort of like non-experts who are like trying to pull off a heist Mm -hmm. i I, I wanted to like get to it i was like let's get to like the heist part because that's like that's where we're always like shooting for in in a heist movie i think it took like a long almost like too long to like get to the cool part when the actual heist goes down it almost feels like too quick like it goes like that yeah yeah (laughs) I thought that was kind of like a letdown. I think overall I like this movie, but I think that like the it has those faults where like I think it could have either gone in one direction and, and been like more like Denim Thieves, uh, where it's like really like sort of heat like violence, or make it like a little more fun. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think it needs like a ton of fun. I think it just needs a moment of like levity that this we like we don't really get in, mm-hmm. in this film. Yeah, well, that, that is. Um, I'm sorry, finish your thought. But otherwise, I think it's like well done. It's a good heist movie. Mm-hmm. Super well acted. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You saw it? What did you I, think? I saw it in theaters. Yeah. I saw it with my dad actually on Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, <laughs> I loved it. I, I think I liked it more than he did. I like this movie a lot. Um, okay. I think I like. Two points. I, I didn't dislike it. Right. No, I yeah. think I, I I didn't get that from you, but I think I yeah. liked it more than you did. <laughs> so yeah. I, I liked it a lot. Like I thought it was really good. Um, so I think my, my two takeaways from this one is that like this is a Steve McQueen movie. Yes. Um, the yeah. director, not the dead actor. Um, so who he also did Twelve Years a Slave. He did Shame. He did Hunger. So it's not surprising that there's not a lot of levity here. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's, it's these, dour. <laughs> these are four really serious movies now. Um, but what I liked about this being a Steve McQueen movie is that it was still very identifiably his movie. That he can, because before that, like these are all basically prestige art movies that he's making yeah. in his three prior films. And he is here like really entering more of a genre space, but still maintaining a look that is identifiably his look, right? So he has these like object POV shots that he uses a lot. He has mm-hmm. a lot of long distance shots to shoot uh, conversations that you'll, you'll see a lot. You'll see a lot of stationary cameras, right, that people are moving in and out of. And I, and I like that he was able to maintain this these cinematic stylistics in an entirely different category of film. And I thought that that was really effectively done here. Um, the other thing I liked about this movie is that its treatment of the, the notion of a do-over, right? I think this movie was a lot about, like, having a second shot at things. Mm-hmm. And you, you see that over and over again in the movie. You have, obviously, the premise of the movie is they're, try, they're trying this heist again that didn't work the first time around. You have these dead husbands that are being replaced by the dead wives. Like, here's another second shot at, at this career as at, at, at life, in a sense. You have the Colin Farrell character trying to be the good guy to save his corrupt father, right? Like, a do-over of that. Those characters' name, that, that family's name is Mulligan, right? Like it's about <laughs> it's about trying things again. You're having, you're you're doing this neighborhood over again, right? Like that it was gentrified and taken over at first, and you have this black upstart politician who's trying to start that up again, right? So I, I liked that it was treating Chicago as the city that the, the the second city, right? Like it takes place in Chicago, second city. Like, I, I like that it's treating Chicago as this place that kind of needs a mulligan and needs a do-over and that it can get that and that can be successful. Um, so I found that thematic through line really compelling here. And I liked that a lot about this movie. Um, so it, Widows, is a, it, I, I thought it was really good. And um, it's a shame that I didn't get a little bit of recognition um, come award season. But I was a big fan of Widows and Steve Queen in general. So this this is a good pick for me. I like that one. Um, what did you see? Shargo? Okay, I just talked sure. about it, but I'll go again. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I saw a German movie called Transit. Um, so okay. this this is not the first movie of 2019 I saw, but one of them and the best one so far. Um, so it was directed by a man named um, Christian Petzold, um, who also directed Phoenix, um, which came out a few years ago, which crossed me, I believe, was UFC, which was great. So this is uh, meant to function as the conclusion of a trilogy. Um, with uh, Barbara Phoenix and then Transit. Transit is based on a book that was written in the 40s about a German national living in France during World War II and the German invasion of, um, of France who has to flee Paris over to uh, Marseille, the port city in France, and try to transition out of, uh, out of France into Mexico or the United States before the Nazis invade and he gets placed in a camp somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about this movie is that it adopts that narrative. It doesn't change any of the language about this being Nazis, about this being them being fascists, but it does change when it happens. So it, all, it uses all modern dress, modern technology, modern language, but still maintains the events that happened in the 40s, huh. which was a very interesting decision. That's um, strange. So it, what it suggests is a Fourth Reich, they don't use that language, but another German fascist movement arising and invading the rest of Europe. The movie itself um, plays off plays out as kind of something adjacent to Casablanca because um, you have these um, it's a, it's a romance and you have these people in this port city waiting to get out before the Nazis show up mm-hmm. to kill everybody, um, which is similar to to Casablanca. But um, also this there's this mistaken and hidden identity plotline that works out pretty well. Um, I don't want to talk about about it too much because it's a really movie it's a moody movie that's kind of felt um, while still maintaining this constant tension of you know an invading force coming in to destroy our characters and like them getting discovered in their various secret identities 
um, but it was it was excellent, very mm -hmm. well made, really strong performance from a, a, the actor's name is very German, Franz Rogowitzki, okay. um, and Paula Beer is the the female lead. Um, all very very strong performances from everybody. So. Transit is the name of the film. Um, it, it has a limited release right now, but I, I think it's extending into more theaters. And this guy has gotten some attention from Phoenix in the past, so hopefully this one gets a wider release. But I think it's the first great movie of 2019. Oh. Um, so go go check it out, it's good. especially if you like Phoenix, because it recalls that movie as well. Um, the it's it's called Transit. It does sound very interesting. Yeah. What do you see, girls? I saw the Apollo 11 special, and Sweet. I was lucky enough to see it on IMAX, uh, which is very much worth it for this one. So this is a, it's a documentary about the Apollo 11 mission, mm -hmm. uh, but it's very different from a typical documentary because there's no narrative or a, like voiceover talking really? about what's happening. There's no interviews <clears throat> or anything like that. It is like 99% straight footage from the Apollo 11 mission, mm. starting from the like day before when they haul the Saturn V rocket up to the launch site and ending when the astronauts finally return. And there's no voiceover. All the audio is um, like mission dialogue, like real like mission dialogue recordings uh, of people talking about what's happening and like, you know, chatting with each other and problem solving and things like that. Uh, and I really like the way that this was constructed because, I mean, you kind of already know a lot of the story about Apollo 11 by now since we've explored it so much. Um, but it was just amazing, like, how much footage they had. Um, we get to see a lot of footage that I think they said was never before seen uh, of the mission. Uh, and it all looks so great. Um, and uh, they added some music to it to increase the tension. I really like the style of the music. Um, it has a very like sci-fi feel to it. One of my friends described it as sounding like Mass Effect. So it's okay. got a kind of synthy sound to it, sure. but it's a little more subtle than that. Um, and it did a great job of amplifying the tension, even though it's an event that you know we all know succeeds and we all sure. know what happens. Um, there's still that kind of like anticipation of how it's going to happen, right? Um, so, and yeah, it's just incredible to see. You get to see like the vastness of the Saturn V, all the like the vastness of the operation behind it. You see all the control rooms and there's these camera shots panning over rows and rows and rows of computers and people monitoring this. Um, you see like the vastness of the operation that went behind this mission successfully happening. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, like the mission dialogue mentioned before, it's smartly placed so that it's almost like a voiceover explaining what's okay. happening. They're like, oh, you know, they're they're going over like the slingshot from Earth to the moon and stuff like that. Uh, the tiny bits that aren't real footage from Apollo 11 are this like kind of wireframe diagram they do of Earth and the moon and they're <coughs> tracing the path of the rocket as it goes to the moon. Okay. And I got to learn a bit about like how orbital trajectories work and stuff like that because they had to slingshot around the Earth to go out to the moon. Um, and so, you know, you still learn some new stuff. Um, and uh, it's just amazing to kind of be there. They, they had like cameras on board and all that and so you could see a lot of what was happening. Mm. Uh, and it's just super incredible. Uh, they also did a cool thing where the astronauts at the beginning are suiting up and they went through a little montage of photos and video clips of each astronaut's accomplishments that led them to that point, which I thought was very cool. It was very quick, um, mm -hmm. um, but it was very effective. Uh, and it kind of helped to have seen first man to understand like what was going on in the Neil Armstrong sure. montage because it showed like you know him as a Navy pilot, a bit of his family life. Um, him flying the supersonic jet and then the Gemini mission where he had to correct a disaster um, and you know so I got some understanding of what those were because I saw First Man that covered those um, yeah so all in all it's fantastic um, and if you can see it on like IMAX you should definitely go for that it's only limited release so by the time this podcast comes out it might not even be available anymore but you should try to go out and see it if you can um, it was just amazing to experience. Did you see, um, do you watch 30 for 30 at all? The what? 30 for 30. The, I have not, the sports documentaries. Yeah, have you seen them? That's a handful. You guys are missing out. Um, I've seen some of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's one called June 17th, 1994, and that's the day that the like OJ Bronco chase happened. Oh yeah, this is like the best one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very good. Um, but what's interesting about that day, it's, it's like this nexus in like, 
sports events where there's like there's like an NBA championship game, there's like a NHL game or something. There's there's an important day in golf. Um, and what's interesting about that documentary is that it's all just like clips from the news or the sporting events. Oh, is the opening of the World Cup in the in in the U.S. Yeah, as as well. Um, and it just starts in the morning with like all the clips that like happen in the morning and just like works through the day, just like moving through the day. And then it gets into like the Bronco chase mm-hmm. starts and then they're like intercutting the news with like all these other like sporting oh, events wow. that are like happening. Um, it's really, really good. And like, there's no narrator, there's no text other than to tell you like where in the day you are. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. And it's, it's rad. Yeah. It's that, that's my favorite 30 for 30 for nice. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's similar to what Night of the Garden did, which was a documentary short that came out a year or two ago, where it was depiction of a Nazi rally in Madison Square Garden. And there's like title cards that are just like, this is a Nazi rally in Madison Square Garden. But like, other than that, it's just like footage of Madison Square, like the old one, not the one that's at 34th, the other one. Um, full, just full yeah. of people giving the Nazi salute and like chanting along to Nazi things and like guys giving Nazi speeches like in front of a giant portrait of George Washington and like Nazi flags all over the place like right in the middle of New York City mm-hmm. and it, no commentary it's just depic- just <laughs> footage just footage so it's cool to, to do that like, that's a cool yeah. technique I think it's it's yeah. a great way to let the footage speak for itself right and when you have footage like what you've described or the Apollo 11 mission it really does yeah um, you guys reminded me um, that the documentary also gives an interesting like tiny peek into I guess like the the life of people in that time because you sure. get to peek at the spectators yeah. basically who are anticipating the launch of the Saturn V right and you see all the crowds form and you see what they look like and how they're interacting with each other and there's brief clips into that mm-hmm. um, I thought there's a funny sequence where well a, a lot of this mission is like brief moments of intense danger um, separated by like days of nothing happening because okay, like, sure. you know you have the rocket launch and like anything can go wrong and they could die and then they have to fly for four days to get to the moon and then they have to um, <laughs> like separate the the capsule and rotate it around and reattach it and then land on the moon mm-hmm. and that all happens at once and it's extremely dangerous and then you know they get to like you know relax on the moon for like an hour before they go back up <laughs> and then, well you know yeah. and again that's extremely dangerous they could die they might not connect back and then they have to fly back to earth which is another four days and then they have to re-enter and they could blow up sure right and so it's like there's so many days of nothing happening and then intense life-threatening danger all at <laughs> yeah. once or like when they're landing on the moon with the lander, they have four minutes of fuel, right? And that seemed the closest the mission ever got to disaster because they landed with like, you know, 15 seconds of fuel left. Right. Uh, and they had to redirect because there was like rocky ground when they're on their planned uh, place, right? And you can hear the mission dialogue as that was happening. And so it's really intense to hear them. Like they're going through all the checks to make sure everything's good. They're updating the crew about how much fuel they have left. And uh, he updates them about like how they have to find a different landing zone. And it was incredibly intense watching because they have a little like number on screen of how much time of fuel left and what altitude they're at. And mm-hmm. there's a point where the, the time left is less than the number of feet that they are above the ground. And they had to like catch that, like they had to overtake that number to to land safely. Wow. Uh, that was super intense to watch. Well, and that the filmmakers here are able to communicate that without any kind of dialogue or yeah. voiceovers. Yeah, I mean, Impressive. So the music gets a little intense and that helps amplify sure, the emotion, but like, but like... Without language extraneous to the footage, like that's that's impressive filmmaking. Yeah, like for that, sure. Yeah. Um, I got a little sidetracked from my original point, but um, there's one point where they're orbiting the moon and you know, they're going to wait a day before they take the lander and go down to the moon's surface. Uh-huh. And in that day, they go back to the command center uh, on Earth and they have, like, the news on the radio playing, right? And they have a brief update about the Vietnam War, which is just oh, beginning. Okay. And then they have an update about the Kennedy accident. I think that was the Chappaquiddick incident. Oh, wow. That was okay. happening right there. And then some of the crew members <laughs> joke to each other like, oh, we're about to be upstaged here by this Kennedy thing. <laughs> um, and That's... this is like right before they actually land on the moon. I thought that I was a funny... Know, I didn't know that happened at the same time. 
I didn't go back and research that, but I think that's what they were referencing because there was like talk of a Kennedy car accident. I'm it pretty sure that has been. to be the Chattaquiddick incident. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they put it in the thing otherwise? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a funny context. I had no, that is interesting. Wow, I had no idea. Huh. Okay, well, Charles, uh, you have uh, your first pick for a new format here. What's what's the movie we're watching next week? I would like to see Doctor Strange Love. Okay, I've heard so much about this, uh, and I've not gotten around to seeing it. Yes, that. looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, that's a great movie. Good yeah. pick. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you want to share the show, review the show, rate the show on whatever various formats that we have posted, please do. It really does make a difference. Uh, we also welcome comments, critiques, questions. We're happy to get them. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Google Play, <laughs> most places where you can Twitter. Most places where you can find podcasts. We're going to be floating around there somewhere. Um, or you could ask us personally, and we will send you a link. Um, in any case, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate it, and join us next week for Doctor Strange Love.